Morning. Psalm 145 is the uh, last psalm that we know of that David wrote. Um, it is a psalm that is uh, just a psalm of praise that, that has talking about God being good, talking about God being great. And as I read it, I remembered a prayer that we used to pray. When I was a child, uh, when, when small children are being first introduced to prayer, we tend to give them these very pithy, uh, rhyming, poetry kind of prayers that they can recite, they can memorize. It's easy for children. Now, I tend to not really uh, be as uh, much of a fan of those. Not working. You see what's going on with that? It's slides not going forward. I tend not to be as much of a fan of those prayers because I, I feel like as a father, if a child came to me, and started to recite a rhyme, I would feel like, okay, this child wants my attention, but isn't really trying to have a conversation with me. Thank you. This child wants me to hear what they have to say, but me saying something back isn't really part of it. But when we, were, when we were children, we learned this prayer. We learned, God is great. Do you, anybody can finish it. God is great. God is good. We, and thank him for, I don't know why we rhyme food with good. That doesn't, it wasn't even a good prayer. But we, we learned it. And it's great for children. And then I open up this psalm. And I see, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. And I realized that, well, God, God is great, and God is good. And we didn't make that up. When I read a psalm of praise to God, it reminds me that he can overcome the obstacles that are ahead. That he is stronger than my problems. That he is bigger than my fears. It's easy to despair, to grow hopeless in this life. It's easy to look at the world we live in and think, where's it going? Nowhere good. This sort of hopelessness is everywhere today. And these feelings, they grow out of doubt of the goodness of God. Right? If you can't keep the goodness of God in your head, it becomes difficult to see the light of the future. This first couple of verses in Psalm 145, the first three, we're breaking it down. We say this one, these couple of verses, David starts by saying, praise God for his unfaithful greatness. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol you forever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Unfathomable greatness. He is so big. He is so powerful, so great, that we cannot understand it. We cannot even, the word fathom means to search for something. And when you fathom the depths of the ocean, you, you explore it, you, you learn about it. We can't learn everything there is to know about how great God is. 
and I have every reason to hope. His greatness is unfathomable. It's easy to be anxious and fearful, and, and it, it robs you of joy. It turns you inward. There are lots of things in life that cause us stress and worry. But he is worthy of our trust. It's easy to fall into this cycle of apathy where nothing brings our passion. We're so familiar with God. We're so used to him that we get bored. We lose our, our awe of God. Every human being has been hardwired by God to live in daily awe of him. It is, it is written on our hearts these psalms, they bring it back to the forefront. This psalm was written as a, as a poem uh, in the Hebrew style. It doesn't rhyme, but it does have some clever wordplay in it, most of which did not get translated into English. One of the fun things about this is that every line begins in the Hebrew with a different letter. And all of those letters are the letters of the alphabet in order. So if you wrote a poem with, uh, with 26 lines and the first line started with A and the second line started with B and the third line started with C, that would be the, the style. There are eight such poems in the book of Psalms. 9, 10, 25, 34, 37, 111, 112, 119, the others. Um, David wrote at least five of them. He, he thought that this was a, a useful device. By, by forcing himself into a, a framework, he allowed the glory of God to come out in his words. He used it to limit himself in order to show that God speaks through. There was a tradition in the old days of speaking this and, and singing or reciting this psalm three times a day. That if, if, you would, if you would recite it three times a day with your heart and with your mouth, that you would experience happiness. Right? That, that you would have blessings in this world. The next couple of psalms in the book, starting from 45 going to, going to 50, they all are written by David in the last portion of his life. They were sort of published together. And each one is a song of praise to God. Each of these last psalms begins and ends with praise the Lord. This is the, the Psalm 145 is sort of the introduction to this, this section of the book that of praising God, giving him glory for his greatness, for his goodness, that he is our king. There was a book written uh, a couple years ago by a somewhat famous atheist called Christopher Hitchens. He wrote a book called God is Not Great. Uh, and the book was, understandably, not really about God, but about the people who have done not great things in God's name. And he looked at the history of humanity and how far we have fallen and how many times we have failed in God's name. 
And the conclusion that he reached was that if people were capable of this, how could God be great? And I completely disagree. David, in this psalm, he magnifies this unfathomable greatness of God. He, he gives it fuel. And he says that God's greatness is, is the source of the praise. He sets this tone in, in the very first verse. He says, you know, I am, I am going to praise you, my God and my king. I will praise your name forever and ever. Now he, David is, all, is a king. He's, an, he's a king on earth of a nation. But he ultimately recognizes that there is, is one sovereign king over everything. And that he, the way that, the, that his people follow him, all people should follow God. The power and control of kings on earth is limited. But God, the king, reigns over all. So we ask ourselves, you know, if God is king, what does that mean for us? And what, why would God want to be uh, looked at with such a picture? Because, especially as Americans, our history with kings is not great. We don't look at monarchs as, as people to be, right? We value democracy, right? None of us is as smart as all of us, or so we hope. If you put all the power in the hands of one person, it can only fail. And that's what democracy says. And we, in America, we think democracy is a, is a moral good, so how can we have a king? The trick is, hand the power to someone who is perfectly good. To someone who can't fail. Who will never let you down. David goes on in the psalm to praise God, not only for his greatness, but for his goodness. Praise the Lord for his overwhelming goodness. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. He does that there. There's a, kind of says the same thing, but backwards. Sort of a, it's a Hebrew poetry device. They will celebrate your abundant goodness, and joyfully sing your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. There's the good news. This infinitely great and majestic and powerful God is also good. Imagine if this great and powerful being were bad. Imagine, imagine the difficulty in life if the creator of the world didn't love you. Sometimes it feels so. But that would be way beyond anything we could imagine. He says, commend God's goodness to the next generation. He, he looks at the coming generations and he, he's giving praise and he's writing this down. He's saying, we got to pass this on. We, we've got to pass this on. David had no idea how many millions would declare God's praise in the coming generations. He had no idea. At, at his point, he's still thinking that God is for his people. This tiny little nation in the Middle East. He has no idea how big the world is. He has no idea 
how the message of God's love would spread over the next roughly 3,500 years. And yet to come. John says in, in Revelation that no one will be able to number the people. A people from every tribe and tongue, from every heritage, they will sing praise to the Savior, and there will be so many, nobody can count them. David shows the need to pass this story on, the story of redemption, the story of God's goodness. One book that we use with the, the, his ministries calls it the Great Rescue Plan. He tells us what to pass on. He says, don't, here's, here's what you, that God saves, that he is powerful, right? In, in the Old Testament, they, they refer to these as these mighty acts, right? He doesn't say that idly. That's not just a word that he picked. When he says, I will tell of your mighty acts, that referred to a specific uh, list of things that God had done for his people, that they would tell each other, that they would remind each other of. The Exodus event, the great display of God delivering his people from bondage. All of, the, uh, all of the miracles that were done uh, throughout Joshua and Judges and, and the, the founding of the nation, they would remind themselves, they would, they would talk about them at the dinner table. And in the New Testament, we have an even greater display of God's mighty act in the story of Jesus, death, and his resurrection. That the power of death was broken. He shows us how to pass it on. He doesn't just say, oh yeah, you got to make sure that the next generation uh, learns the truth about God. He, no, he says, one generation shall commend your works to another. That means uh, not, just, uh, not just saying it, but, but commit, like saying, this is good. Understand, look at how good God is. Okay? Commend, related to the word recommend. I, you want some of this. Not just transferring information, but demonstrating love. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 7, a bit more personal. It says, this next generation, they will celebrate your abundant goodness, joyfully sing your righteousness. He longs for the next generation, not just to, to talk about God, but to, to give praise to overflow, to be overwhelmed with his goodness. We should long for this for our children, right? for those that we are mentoring, for our friends that are younger in the faith than us. We should, we should long for them to be overflowing with praise. We should cherish God's goodness. David's words of praise about God's grace and compassion are, are somewhat echoing uh, the things that God himself uh, said to Moses. When Moses was on the mountain in Exodus 34, God says uh, to Moses in response to his prayer, he says, the Lord is, or I am, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and great in faithful love. One of the most quoted statements in the Old Testament. Right? Jonah quoted it in anger when, when the Ninevites repented. Right? He says, God, I know that you are slow to anger and that you are overwhelming in love, and I don't want to share. He didn't think they deserved God's salvation. Jonah wanted to preach to his own people, not those people. That's something for another time. But God's goodness extends to anyone who turns to him. 
anyone who turns their hearts toward him, he has saving power. We should never imagine that we have been brought to God out of our own goodness. Um, We have not been saved because we are good. We have been saved because God is good. Third section of this psalm, beginning in verse 10, picks up this similar train of thought that all of God's works, uh, the things that he does should give thanks to him. That, That the things that God has accomplished in our world should cause us to turn to him in praise. Verses, uh, I'll just, I'll read it. All that you have made will praise you, O Lord, for saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom. They will speak of your might so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through generations. That's just, there's just God. His reign endures forever popular song a couple years ago that repeated that phrase over and over again. Rain endures forever. That's where it comes from. Right? Kingdom people. People who spread the word. They will declare God's might. They will speak of his mighty acts. The glorious splendor of your kingdom. Um, interestingly, Verse 13 here, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. This actually gets quoted next by Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon in Daniel chapter 4. When when he finally is won over to Daniel's God. He, He quotes this and it's not obvious that he knows what he's saying. That he knows he's quoting their scriptures. But he just gives an expression of praise to God, the, the, the sovereign king of the world. And it just kind of just gets wrapped up. There is a king in control of his creation. We praise the Lord because he is the king. And the king turning. The king will set things right. The king will... Uh, as one book says, make all sad things become untrue. And we will be in that kingdom. He's not just the the sovereign ruling king, he is the gracious king. The, The last couple of verses of this psalm show how God sustains the world, how he keeps it going, uh, how he, his rule extends through the entire creation, but he is the gracious king. He, he cares for his creation. And and he has special care for those who are in a relationship with him. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds those who fall and lifts up those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Here we have a, a praise to God for his care of his creation. There is, a certain, there is a certain love that God has for everything that he has made, for all people. No one is ever outside the love of God. There are times when we turn our back on him. But there is never a time that he turns his back on us. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. 
is loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to those who call on him. To all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him. But all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. That's how David ends the psalm. With God's love. That God brings to his world compassion and peace. If God is great and God is good, then we can rest in him. I think this final section can be summed up. Praise the Lord because he brings In verse 14, he says that he helps the weak. Those who fall, those who are oppressed, those who are bowed down. He says are bowed down. Not those who bow down, that's different. No, those who are made to bow, those who are oppressed. His kindness on display in the way he restores the fallen. That he upholds those who are falling. That he raises them up. There was a a speaker one time who who brought to my attention the the idea that when Jesus talks about the future, about the future kingdom, and and he gives that famous phrase when, you know, to any who, um, you know, when, when I was hungry and you fed me, I was thirsty and you brought me a drink, I was sick and in prison and you visited me. When he... When he says that, and he says that as much as you did those things for these, the least of my brothers, I, as much as you did it for them, you did it for me. Jesus identifies with the poor and the oppressed. He identifies in such a way that to, to care for someone who's downtrodden, to care for someone who is falling, is the same as doing those things for the king. When we, uh, when we watch sports, sometimes we have a, a favorite team um, or a favorite player. And one of the ways that we, uh, that we show that we are following or are a fan of a certain player or team is we, we buy clothes in their colors. We buy clothes with their logos and with their name and numbers on them. And we wear them. When we, we wear them specifically when we are watching the game. And that is a way that we identify with our team. That's a way that we say, I am, I'm not on that team, right? I'm not actually part of it, but I, it's part of my identity. I claim it. In the exact same way, Jesus looks at the oppressed. And he says, I'm not, I'm not one of them. I'm not oppressed. I'm the king. But I identify with. I claim them. When they succeed, I succeed. When they are cared for, I take it personally. When they are ignored, I take it personally. The Lord helps the weak. If you are hurting, if you are falling, if you feel overwhelmed, this is the king to look to for help. He is our glory. He is the one who lifts our heads. That's not optimism. That's not, you know, I, I have a tendency to sort of always have this attitude of make the best of the situation. This isn't it. This is God-centered truth. That he provides for his creation. As he says in 
all eyes look to you. Give them food in the proper time. There's a similar expression in Psalm 104 where he describes how the eyes of uh, every, every donkey and bird and cow and, and badger and lion and sea creature and more all depend on their creator. That God's his love for his creatures as their king is expressed in this very personal term. He says, you open your hand and give them what they need. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Like a, like a person, like a feeding out of their hand. It's personal. It's loving. He answers every prayer. As the Lord is near to those who call on him. To all who call on him in truth, he is near. Whatever situation, whether you're in, in danger, whether you're in hunger, whether you're in sickness or panic or fear, whether you just feel overwhelmed with the responsibilities of the day, call out to God in truth, meaning with integrity, be honest with him. Because he's the king. He's in control. He can carry your burden. God is gracious, and he's willing to carry it. Give it to him. And the Lord watches over all of him. That's the, sort of this closing line right before he ends the psalm, that he, he guards those who love him, but he destroys all the wicked. Notice that those who receive God's protection are the people who love him. That's a, the simple, very simplest expression of being a Christian, of following Jesus, of loving God. When we talk about God guarding his people by his power, Peter, in his first letter, he says that, no, we have not seen him, but we love him. Those who love the king belong to him. He will protect them. He will guard them. He will preserve them and sustain them until the God of all grace brings them into his eternal kingdom. 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, that doesn't mean that people have an easy life if they follow Jesus but they have an eternally secure life. But those who do not follow him have no such assurance. All who fail to kneel to the king in repentance and faith will perish. And I, I put about six different references there for that statement. It's in Psalm 1, 104, 143, 7, two others. So look to the king. He saves people from themselves. He saves people from the world around them. From their past. And from their future. He looks to the needs of all who look to him. Christ is the king of the poor. Of the afflicted. Of the fallen. Being in that relationship with him, following him as he takes care of you, that is all you really need. Unfortunately, many don't have it. Many would rather live a life apart from Jesus. But to those who can admit their need for his peace, not only peace in this life, but eternal peace in the kingdom, to those, he says, to those who understand that they are spiritually bankrupt, that they are poor, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Do you, if you feel too overwhelmed to cry out for help, too sinful, too poor, think again. You are the excellent candidate for the king's grace. He identifies with those who are struggling. To those, to those who look at their past with tears in their eyes and think, think, how could this have happened? How could I have come to this? He says, blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. David concludes this with the only logical response to God's goodness and greatness. To his control, his sovereignty, to his sustaining grace. The only response to the fact of the king's presence is praise. He says, my, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. This, is, this praise is as wide as mankind and unfading as eternity. And so he ends where he began. Praise his holy name forever and ever. If you go back to verse 1 and 2, I will praise your name forever and ever. I will extol your name forever and ever. He just gave us a whole alphabet of reasons to praise God. Let's join him. Let's live in these words that God is great, that he is good, that he is the king who brings peace. So often we overlook places like Psalms. We, we read through them casually, we, almost as a, just as a, almost a hobby. As a, it's just, oh, I'm just going just gonna to browse through Psalms today, something to lift my spirits. But we rarely dive in so deeply. God longs for us to connect with him, and he longs to connect. I ask you today, where are you in your relationship with the king? Where do you stand with God? Do you feel oppressed today? Do you feel bowed down? Call out to him in truth. He will answer. For, I, I, whatever decision, whatever choice, whatever moment God is laying on your hearts, now is the time. I'm a firm believer that in these moments when we open our hearts, there's that small voice that speaks to us. I don't know what God speaks to you today. But as I am saying these words to you, I am sure that if God is speaking and you are listening, you know what he says. Listen. Grab onto it. If, if we as a church can support you in whatever decision you, you make, whatever new leaf you want to turn over, if we can connect with you, we would love to do that. We set up a part of our website, cchmd.com slash connect. We, we use that as a way that people can just grab, pull out your phone and tap a button and check in with us. You can talk to us. You can let us know how you're doing. You can ask for prayer. You can give us up. Let us reach back out to you. Another easy way is uh, we set up a, a phone number where you can send a text. Uh, that comes to, it doesn't come to a phone, it comes to our computers, and, and we can get that and respond back. I didn't put the slide up. There's the website, and the number is 240-347-0897. Uh, 
Uh, we use those because we want to connect with you. Right? We want to be part of what God is doing in your life. As we look through the Psalms, as we see the glory of God, his greatness, goodness, we want to share that with you. We want to share that, and together, generation after generation, tell of his mighty acts. Pray together before we go. Father, is, we are here, and we are listening, and you are great. You are good. Today we recognize you as king, that you care for us and you sustain us and you love us. You bring us peace. God, our, our needs are different. Every single one of us sitting here, we, we come to you with a different heart. We come to you with a, with a different need. But you are big enough. You are strong enough. You are powerful enough to handle all of it. And we turn over all of those obstacles and burdens to you because you can handle it. Thank you for your gracious love that you are not only capable but willing to help us through the most difficult times of life, that you save us from our past, from our future, that you pull us out of the, the failure of sin and into the glory of salvation. May we hold on to that today. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you have a great week.